Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. For them not fulfilling their role, maybe that they should fulfill. And then how can we make a difference? You know, what can you do to support them? Welcome back to another amazing episode of The Coaching Call. I had an amazing conversation with Jim White on parenting. His background as a family enrichment coach and life experiences provide a unique perspective. Jim is an author, coach, and founder of the Family Enrichment Academy. Good morning, Jim. Thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I am awesome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. That's good. Excellent. So today we're going to talk about parenting. It's a, it's an incredible thing when we think about the impact that every parent can make on their child, right? Absolutely. It's a uh, it's it's a gift and it's a responsibility both at the same time. Hmm. Gift. I like the way you put it. A lot of people don't consider it that way. Yeah. They believe that they're a gift to the kid and it should be the other way around, right? Yeah, and part of the reason I say that um, is I like to encourage parents to think of the parenting process as an opportunity for their own personal development and growth. Mm -hmm. You you are presented challenges and difficulties as a parent, and those are just obstacles and um, and learning opportunity or teaching moments, if you will, for yourself, not just the child, but for the parent as well. So that's how it's a a gift. No, I, I totally agree. I I tell a lot of people that the reason you may have a child is so that the child can teach you how to become a parent. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and, and it's interesting. You don't know until you do it. It's one of those things, you know, you can't fully appreciate that perspective or that experience until you've actually stepped into it. And, uh, you know, you can talk a lot about it. And, and on the same token, it just just came up just a day or two ago. My wife was saying that a man can't appreciate what a woman goes through as they are pregnant and go through the birthing of a child, which we never will. But it's interesting. Sometimes we think we get it when we don't. But it's it's parenting's like that. You have to go through the experience um, to be fully immersed in it in order to really start to appreciate and and be able to take advantage of those opportunities for growth. Yeah. No, I I like the perspective of like, we can't ever imagine what it's like to give birth to a child. (laughs) And it's got to be such a beautiful experience. And of course, don't get me wrong. The the ladies do go through a lot of pain when they give birth. 
I'm number 10 of 12, so I can only imagine. There you go. And, and for your listeners, we have six children. So we've, you know, my wife has, has been through it six times now. So, mm. Wow. Congratulations. Six years. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a fun thing. And we have grandchildren now, so it's a, uh, it's a growing family continues to ever grow. So is that a double? Uh, on your grandchildren, you have 12 grandchildren? Yeah, we do have 12 grandchildren right now. And actually, our 13th grandchild is due in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, cross over that double mark. <laughs> so at one point, let, let's, even, let's even go now into it. The difference between being a parent and a grandparent. It's got to be di so different. Am I right? It, it is different. And um, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes I'll talk to parents about their role as the parent of an adult child. Mm. And really, the teenage years are the intro or the starting of that shift in your role mm -hmm. to which then continues on when your children become adults. And you are always going to be the parent. I mean, our oldest child is now, what is he, 37, and we still are the parent, right, to him. And, you know, there's still that parent-child relationship, but it's different than it was when he was five years old, right? And it's sort of evolved, and that process starts evolving, really, as we move through the teen years. But as a grandparent, it's, it's even, you know, there's different because your role is, you know, one of hopefully empowering and supporting your child to be a parent. But then you also have a relationship with the grandchild, and um, that can be very valuable to both the grandchild and to the parent because it's you know it is an extension of the family and a growth of the family, and you become another you know as a grandparent you are another sort of place within the family that helps that child feel at home and helps that child to feel connected to the family if you develop that relationship. And a grandparent can be a great mentor to a child as they grow and develop, especially up into their teen years. So now sometimes in with our grandchildren, some are local and some are not local. So the ones that aren't local, we don't get to spend as much time with one-on-one. -on -one. But when we are there, you know, the goal is to develop and nurture that relationship and build connection so that you can be there as a as a, another source of influence or another source, another mentor, if you will. Um, and so that's how it's it's a little bit of a different different role. But you have to be careful that you don't try to step into the role of the parent, though. That's the one thing that I think can cause conflict mm -hmm. between a grandparent and their child is if the parent starts to, or the grandparent starts to try to step in and be the parent. That's not my role, right? right? And I have to let, you know, that my child in effect be the parent, which, you know, that sometimes can get a little bit, you know, you start to, you want to pass judgment or tell them how to parent, which is really not the role. Correct. Right. You, you know, it, it's funny. I've, I've spoken to some, some parents and some grandparents and the roles that they have are so different a person will say i never spent time with my dad or my mom but they spend so much time with my son or my daughter and reason being is that we have to realize that maybe when that parent who is now the grandparent was working and they worked so much they didn't have the time to spend with that child now their child comes around and all of a sudden they see the the misconnection that they had and they want to now put into it right now they want to put the effort into it because maybe they're retired maybe they have the time 
And then the other funny thing I, I always consider is they spoil the, the grandchildren. And then at the end of it, of the day, they're like, whoop, go back to your parents. Right. Because now you're not my responsibility. So, yeah, they will give them all the bad things like chocolate and candy and all these things and then send them back. And then the parents have to deal with the hyperactive child was just like gone nuts and has had a, an amazing experience with their grandparents. And then they come back home to maybe a parent who's working all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of my messages to parents and to families is that it is a journey and it's ever evolving and ever changing as you go through that journey. And in the example that you gave, I mean, as a, as a grandparent now, um, you know, I have a different perspective and appreciate those relationships differently than I did when 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and that's just because I've evolved and grown as a person over time. And the same thing happens with our kids and, you know, they grow and develop and move through their life. And so that parent is, it's a journey because they're always faced with new circumstances. You know, when you're the parent of a six-year-old, you deal with certain issues and, and difficulties. But when that child turns 10, there's a new set of issues and difficulties mm -hmm. that you're going to deal with. And then when they turn 15, there's now there's new things you're going to deal with. And so it's an ever evolving journey. And the other, and people will ask us sometimes, you know, did we parent different with our first child than we did our sixth child? Mm. And the answer is yes, we did, you know, because we grew and developed and learned and, and things shifted as, as time went on, um, you know, and, and to be quite honest with ours, there's enough of an age gap that the world environment that our youngest grew up in was different than the one our first grew up in. Mm. And so again, that's part of the journey as well. And so we just have to recognize that it is an ever evolving process. And part of one of the most, I always tell people, one of the most important things you can do as a parent is to adopt a growth mindset. Right. The, the premise that I'm going to be growing, learning and developing through this. And that's, my first job is to be open to that possibility and step into the the opportunity to learn and grow and be open to it. Yeah, without a doubt. One of the things that always gets me is is when when someone doesn't understand like middle child syndrome if you will, right? Right. Or last child syndrome. The way the parents treat them and and the, the kids see it. They're like, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm the baby, so that's why I'm treated this way. Or I get all the things. Like for example, somebody recently said that they gave their 18-year-old a brand new car. Meanwhile, their 26-year-old never got a car. Right. And then they're like, "It's so unfair," you know. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> My brother got a car and I didn't. You know, what was that all about? And why was I treated so differently? Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, you know, every child is so different. Like I have two boys and they're night and day. Absolutely. You have one that behaves one way, another one that behaves totally like who is, who are you and where'd you come from? Right. right? Yeah. You, you get that experience as a parent as well. Right. Yeah. And so you have to, that's where I'm saying you have to be willing to look at it as a journey and every, again, whether it's the, the dynamics of the home. Another one I'd throw out is, you know, we had six children. Mm. And when the first child left the home, the dynamics within the home changed, right? Because now there's a different dynamic there. And when the second one left, 
dynamics change again. So again, it's just this ever evolving process. And so part of my message to parents is around, and I've, you know, I've written a book on how to be the parent your teenager needs you to be. And mm. there's really, it's around, there's some fundamentals though, that we as parent can work on. It's sort of like the basics, if you will. And if you focus on these fundamentals, it puts you in a position to deal with the ever-changing circumstances, you know, because the circumstances are going to change and you're going to be faced with different issues. But ultimately, what we want for our children is for them to be go, you know, go off and, and launch into their adult life mm. and to be, you know, we I say successful with quotes around it because it's not always <laughs> it's not always about being, you know, getting the, the best job or whatever. It's about them being able to feel that they have some sense of joy in their life and that mm -hmm. they're on purpose. I mean, I'll use, you know, the analogy. I mean, if you had a son or daughter that was very successful from a material standpoint, but they were miserable and unhappy, mm. the parents still would feel, you know, they would feel that pain. But on the flip side, if you had a child that was maybe had meager means from a material standpoint, but they had a, a tremendous relationship with a spouse and they were just joyful and very much on purpose in what they did, that would feel that's really what we want. You know, part of this process and the fundamentals are around how do we put our children in a position to be able to launch out into their life and experience that purpose, that sense of peace, that sense of joy, and the sense that they are connected and make a difference in the world. Mm. I mean, that, that's to me what when that's how I define success from a family perspective. The, the more I listen to you, the more I realize that you are truly connected as a parent. And the reason I say that is because those kids are not born with instructions, are they? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And wow. actually, you mentioned connection. That's one of my three fundamentals mm. is how do we build connection and in effect, you, you know, have the child because the, the the opposite of that is if the child feels isolated or alone mm. i mean and there's nothing worse than thinking about a child i mean the classic example is they walk into school and they go into the lunchroom and they have no friends and they sit at a table by themselves right i mean as a parent you know that just stabs you in the heart because you feel so badly for that child because they are disconnected they're isolated they're alone mm. and we all experience that. And that's one of the human conditions is this sense that, okay, are we off on our own? And the counter to that is building connection. How do we build connection? How do we establish the relationship and make the home? And when I say the home, it's the parent, right. a safe place. You know, mm -hmm. this is a safe place where the child is loved unconditionally. They always know it's there. It's, it's a, like say it's a haven if you will and that's one of the fundamentals is we you know how can i always be working on and be intentional about building connection with the child and that's a i talk about gifts that's a huge gift mm -hmm. to give that child is if they have that sense of connection because they take that with them everywhere they go oh, that's the interesting thing you know if they go off into school as a teenager and you know one of their friends does something that in theory would be hurtful to them and they start to feel that they always know they can come back home home's a safe place and so that lessens the blow if you will of something that may happen at school or within their friend group because even if something there happens that's negative they always know they have that safe place and that connection to home 
and it gives them strength in that moment. So that's one of the fundamentals is, you know, building connection. Well, you know, you, you had me thinking when you were talking about a safe haven, but unfortunately, a lot of kids don't have that, you know, and it's so sad to see the not only the verbal abuse, but the physical abuse that kids go through at home. Right, right. Because the parents did not get the instructions with the kid when they were born, right? Right. So for me, that is such a painful thing. And, and when we think about, you know, the love that every child should receive, but maybe they're not getting it. And, and this is this is why, you know, I always say that, when we think about sometimes jails are full of kids who didn't have that safe haven. Right. Because they had nothing to look forward to. Um, they were always getting beat up at home and at school, or they became the abuser because maybe they were getting it at home and all, that's all they know how to do. Right. So we got to think about, and I appreciate the, the fact that you gave a safe haven to your kids, but not all kids have that. So, I mean, I, we have to be as real as real gets because it's not apple pie right? You know, and football games every day. It's, it's real life for some people where they, they don't know if they did something right or if they did something wrong, they get treated the same way. It doesn't matter. You know, there's homes where people are being abused just because they're there. It's not because of something they did. So all of a sudden they start thinking, what did I do wrong? And maybe, right. you know, it, it, it becomes a hardship on so many people. Right. As, as much as you are, you're talking about a safe haven, and I appreciate that. And I know there's a lot of homes that are a safe haven. But we also have to consider the fact that there are places that kids can maybe go to who don't have a safe haven, right? Yeah, outside of the home. And sometimes that's where a grandparent can come in or an mm -hmm. aunt or an uncle, you know, they can provide that connection. And, and to speak to what you're talking about, part of my goal and my mission with this work is to help break the cycle that repeats itself mm -hmm. within some of those family environments. Because you're right. I mean, some, I mean, obviously, if everybody's home was um, in an ideal situation, we wouldn't have, you know, the, you know, right. the other day I heard, uh, you know, it's statistics about suicides and drug abuse and alcohol, you know, all this stuff seems to be growing and it's, it's a function of this stuff that we're talking about. And so the question is, how do you break that cycle? And it's, and it's kind of points to, I mentioned, I have these three fundamentals. I like to work with families around. And actually the first fundamental when I work with parents is about that parent and their own, as I mentioned, their own personal journey and their own personal growth and development, mm -hmm. because really, and you kind of mentioned it, you know, 80%, 90% of what that child learns, they really just weren't learned by the modeling or the example that the parent is setting. And so the first step in this is to have the parent start to work on themselves, if you will. And what I, the way I position it with parents is the idea that within us, we have two competing mindsets. Um, one of them is fear-based and one of them is love-based. And the question is, in any given circumstance or moment, are you coming or are you responding out of fear or are you coming from or responding out of love? And 
the damage that we cause happens when we're in that fearful mindset or that fearful perspective, if you will. And that's where the, the trouble comes. That's where the damage comes. And so the question is, how can I, as a parent, start to shift and maybe, you know, change that circumstance? And so the, the techniques that I like to share with parents is the first thing is to become really aware of what you are experiencing as a parent. Mm. And there are signs that you're in a fearful mindset or signals. And it's typically the emotion that you're experiencing. If you're experiencing anger, for example, or frustration, you know, you talked about the violent homes or where there's some abuse. Mm. I mean, typically it's a parent that's experiencing some kind of anger. Anger is a sign that you're in a fearful mindset or you're acting in unloving ways. And right. so if you, the first step in this process is self-awareness. Right. Sort of notice, oh, wait, I'm starting to get angry. Mm. And so if you become aware of that, then the second step, and I always I try to encourage people to think of, okay, I got to create a pause. How can I create a pause here mm -hmm. so that then I can make an intentional choice? Because that's the next step is I can make a choice then to try to shift my perspective. And so it's that awareness, create a pause. Now I can choose to look at this particular circumstance or situation differently mm -hmm. through more of a love-based mindset. And when I do that, you know, I talk to parents about how can you introduce some forgiveness into this situation? How can you introduce some compassion, you know, into the into your perspective? Uh, gratitude, you know, these are love-based perspectives that help to shift an environment um, and how you see something. And then what happens is you respond differently. When you're coming from compassion, you respond differently than when you're coming from isolation or fear. And, and you know, it's interesting. Anger comes out. It, it's that fight or flight response. Right. If, you know, if a person, if the parent is feeling, you know, not worthy or they feel disconnected or unappreciated or unloved, they're either going to fight or flight. And a lot of times it comes out as fight, which is anger. But it's still, it's a fear that I don't belong, or it's a fear that I'm not good enough, or I can't do this. That's where it starts. And so you, know, you got to catch yourself there. Again, create a pause and see if you can then shift into that more love-based mindset. And to be honest, that's, you know, that's the 80, 90%, it's the old 80, 20 rule. That's the, the primary function of the parent is to manage themselves. Everything else will then kind of flow out of that. And to break the cycle, start with yourself. And I, I like the, I actually use this analogy of being a hero within your family. And I, I use this storytelling technique of a hero's two journeys. And the premise is to the hero takes a stand for love within the home. You know, even when all the signs and situations point to maybe I shouldn't be acting from a loving perspective or a loving, a love-based mindset, I still take a stand for love is what the hero does. And so there's this um, sort of theme that runs through some of the work that I do around it being a hero and the hero's two journeys that we that we all are on. Um, so anyway, that that's again, that's the first of my three fundamentals that I really work with with people. I love it. This is the question that I keep asking myself. How did you become so understanding as a parent and then later on, not only for your own children, but to make a difference in other parents and other children, because in order to help children, you need to help the parents first, right? 
Right, exactly. Which actually, I might if if I just mentioned the hero's two journeys, okay. um, I might just share a little bit of my background and kind of how I got got here. And it incorporates this idea of a hero's two journeys. So if you don't mind, I'll take five minutes and sort of give you some of that background. Well, my question for you is on your background is, and you, I'm sure you're going to cover it, but I have several questions. One is, how was your childhood like? How were your parents? Which one do you, do you feel made a bigger impact on you? Because sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one or the other. Sometimes it's it's a grandparent or an uncle. Right. Th those are the questions that, you know, and I'm sure you're going to cover it anyway, but go for it. Yeah. So my journey, I always like to say that um, I have spent the last 40 years studying the topics of uh, personal development, parent and, and parenting and family enrichment, if you will. And more importantly, though, I've spent those last 40 years applying the lessons learned as a parent and as a uh, and as a husband. And as I mentioned, I have six children. And then I always like to throw out, I, I think of myself as the classic example of the hero's two journeys. And for your audience that may not be familiar with this idea, it's a storytelling technique that's often used in movies or books. And, and what it entails is the main character is on two different journeys within a movie, let's say. The first journey is known as the journey of accomplishment. They have this task or this mission that they're trying to accomplish and they encounter obstacles and it makes for an interesting story as they move towards whatever that goal is. But it's, and again, that's known as the journey of accomplishment. But then there's a second journey that that hero is on, which is known as the journey of fulfillment. And it's more of an internal transformation that that character is going through. They're discovering things about themselves. They're discovering new principles, values, and beliefs that just make their life work better. And that's what makes the hero compelling or the story compelling. And so how that connects to me is as I think about my life over the last 40 years, um, I see those two journeys that I've been on. You know, from the standpoint of just being a parent, obviously we had a lot of things to accomplish. You know, we had places to go, meals to cook, homework to help with. I mean, I like to say, you know, we were six kids busy, as you can imagine. You know, there was a lot of stuff to do. And we also experienced a lot of obstacles along the way. I mean, we dealt with everything from, let's say, a lost homework assignment to one of our children actually struggling with a learning disability. Um, you know, we had scrapes on the knees, but then we also had, I have a daughter that struggled with drugs and alcohol through high school and into college. You know, we taught our kids how to ride a bike, but we also sent them off in cars and they crashed those cars, you know, so you deal with that. Um, and then as you can imagine, over 40 years from a marriage standpoint, you know, we've had both sunny and cloudy days, you know, over those 40 years. And, and actually we had three, I like to use the analogy, we had three distinct hurricanes over our 40 years of marriage. You know, these are times where, you know, divorce was discussed. Mm. And so as I was going through my life, you know, on this outside journey and doing all the stuff that a dad and a husband does, I was also experiencing this internal transformation, you know, through this interest in personal development and um, parenting and family enrichment and, you know, studying those materials, I was discovering principles, values, and beliefs that just made our family work better. You know, if this was this internal transformation that was happening as well. Right. And, and actually, 
it's hard to believe it's been like 20 years ago i wrote a definition of a successful family it was sort of like okay what is and we've sort of talked about it already but you know my definition included things like you know a successful family speaks with respect they honor differences they empower each other um, they provide a nurturing environment you know mm -hmm. they have a way of really appreciating the good times but equally as important, they have a way and a knack of handling any difficult circumstances or issues that come their way. And then finally, the last line of this was, there's a sense of peace, joy, warmth, and love within the home. And so that was, you know, sort of my definition of a successful family. And mm -hmm. while our family doesn't always look like that, over time, we do more often than not. And then equally as important is if we start to get off track, again, a circumstance comes up or something happens that knocks us off our game, if you will, um, I now know how to lead us back. You know, that's you know part of that internal journey over time. And so where I am now is I just feel a calling to share some of the wisdom gained over the last 40 years. And so that was really the impetus for me forming the Family Enrichment Academy. That's the vehicle, if you will, that I'm using to share some of this wisdom. Uh, I mentioned I've written a book on parenting, you know, for parenting teenagers. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do workshops. You know, I do just any different, a variety of different ways of delivering content and working with people mm. all under the premise of how can I share some of what I've learned over my life as a, as a parent. So that's the kind of the 40-year journey of how I got to this point with the Family Enrichment Academy. Mm. Um, to your other question about my childhood and my parents. Yes, yes. Um, and probably a lot of people have this. My parents were really different. And so they're sort of, I took different things from each of them. Um, my father was more of the logical um, problem solving, you know, and, and also actually very much a, you know, believe in yourself. You can, you know, I remember him saying, you know, I, I don't, you never say the word can't. That was one of his favorite sayings. So he was kind of that sort of modeling, if you will, while my mother was more of the provided the love in the family, if you will. She was the kindness, the generosity, mm -hmm. the servant. You know, she was the servant's heart within the right. family. And another interesting, you know, as we all go through, my parents, though, did divorce when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. So that's part of my background as well. So it's, you know, we all have in, in everybody. And again, back to the idea of journey, we all have these differences in our journey. You mentioned birth order. I'm the oldest and I have one younger brother. Mm. So I come from a family of two boys. And, you know, so I have my own individual story, if you will, that helps to shape and develop, you know, sort of mold who I am, just like all of us do. You have your story. You said you were one of 12, I believe you said. Yes. You know, and that shapes and informs who you are. So, um, but that, you know, so that's a little bit about my, you know, my childhood anyway, um, and sort of the two different roles that my, that my parents played. Who would you say made the most impact on you? Was it your mom? Was it your dad? Grandparents? No, it was, I would say it wasn't a grandparent. I was close to both my mother and my father. And it's, it, I say it's different. I took Again, I think that servant's heart from my mother, that came from her and the, uh, the kind of the kindness, generosity, servant stuff from my, from my mother. Um, from my father, again, it was more of the, 
um, belief. That was probably the thing. It was a belief in yourself and your abilities. You know, he was, that was something he definitely modeled was a belief that, that he could do and accomplish things and that he could figure it out. It's sort of, you know, it's interesting. We talk about a growth mindset, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the biggest um, benefits, I'll call it a benefit of a growth mindset is that it creates hope. If you think about it, because if, if you can grow and learn, there's always hope for the future because you can change, right? Or you can change that future. And it's, if somebody gets stuck, the, the mod or the common terms nowadays is the fixed mindset. You know, that's you know, what's used today is this idea of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. But if you have a fixed mindset and you believe things will never change, mm-hmm. there's despair there because you, there's no opportunity to make it better you know, the next time around. And uh, my dad was the ultimate in that growth mindset in that you can find a way to make it work or to make it better. Um, So that was probably the biggest thing. So it was really, I think, a kind of a combination of the two. Mm. Now, Mm. an interesting, I'll just share this, a dynamic that's, again, part of my story Mm -hmm. is my father, when I was, let's see, I was 20 years old, was in a very severe car accident. Mm, sorry to hear that. Yeah. And he experienced a brain, uh, basically a, a brain injury, kind of mm. like a concussion. You know, they talk in football today about concussions and what have you. Um, and it, interestingly, it really shifted our relationship. It almost like it flipped it because he yeah. went through a period of time. And again, I was the oldest son where I felt like I was the caretaker, mm. if that makes sense. And yeah, it sort of reversed those roles. And it was a dynamic, and again, just part of my story going forward. That um, and everybody has their stories that they tell, but that it, for me, that was an interesting thing. And it was a, I mentioned it's like a gift. Sometimes it was a struggle because you know you mentioned like you know, res, you know you, I was in some ways I was almost resentful, if you will. It's like, dang it, mm-hmm. why am I in this role now? You know, this is, you know, but you didn't ask for it. Right. But it was at the same time, it was an opportunity for me to grow and learn and develop and to be aware, okay, maybe I'm not being as forgiving. I'm not being as Mm -hmm. compassionate. It was really the big thing was compassion. I mean, he was literally he was in a coma for like six weeks Mm. when he came out. He had to relearn everything. He had to relearn to walk, to chew, to eat, to to talk, everything. And, you know, as a it's, it's funny how sometimes that it brings up frustration. It's like, like I said, you know, you start to feel like, you know, but that's where the alternative is compassion. You know, how can I be compassionate in this scenario? And so while it was difficult, it also was a tremendous growth opportunity for me, you know, and that went on for years. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't, you know, this was a, you know, well, he was, yeah, it was 30 years because he he was 40 at the time Mm -hmm. um, when he had the accident and he ended up passing away right at 70. And he had a lot of health issues and complications as a result of that. So it was a 30-year journey of this back and forth. So it's, and it's, so it's interesting when you look at that dynamic. And I know a lot of people have issues or struggles with them and their parents. And part of the healing process is to be intentional about trying to heal those relationships as well. And that's one, sometimes the first step that has to happen in order to be a better parent yeah. is you have to heal your relationship with your parent as part sure. of that process. Yeah. And 
sometimes it may happen after their death or their passing. Mm-hmm. If that's when it happens, it happens. You know? Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, a lot of people have to take the time to realize what maybe their parents were going through. Yeah. Right. I think understanding can bring clarity, but you have to be willing to kind of almost step into their shoes, right? Uh, you could never step into their shoes, but it kind of kind of almost, right? Because right. we never know. We don't have that that capability. No one does to truly know what someone else was feeling or doing or thinking, right? But to do our best to try to understand so we have some clarity as to maybe why they behaved a certain way. Why is it that one dad was there for every kid's game and the other one could care less or was working and couldn't, even though he cared, couldn't be there? Right. Um, you know, the mom who refused to cook why why did she refuse to cook what was what was the, the you know what was going on with her and the kids always ate takeout or pizza or whatever from the drive through who knows what so it, as a child it's not always the easiest to to deal with these things but when you can be subjected to Let's stop thinking about you for a minute and let's think about them. Let's let's try to realize what maybe what their childhood was like. So that's why I'm always amazed at when we think about our childhood, how it has reflected onto the actions that we take as an adult. Right. And and what it's made us, right? Whether it's a hardship or easy breezy. And we had a great life with, with our family. There was no abuse and everybody was was nice and you lived in a nice neighborhood. You didn't live in a slum. You didn't have to, you know, avoid drug dealers or drugs and all these different things just to get from school to home. So there's all these different dynamics that the world sees because it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, you're going to find one of those things that are going to happen in your life. Right. 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 Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, the first step in that, what you're describing is compassion, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's from a love based mindset. You naturally extend compassion to other people and their pain. One of my um, little I'll call it sayings or things I like to impart to parents is the idea that any unwanted or quote unquote bad behavior. And this could, and I put it in context of a child, but I'll say it's true for any person. Mm -hmm. So any unwanted or bad behavior is a call for love by that person. You know, they're doing that. And what they're doing is they're reaching out saying, I need and then nine times out of 10, I need to feel connected. I need to feel loved. I need, I Mm -hmm. need, you know, that is what I'm missing. And so that's why they're acting the way they're acting. And the the natural response when you think of it from that perspective is compassion, mm-hmm. right? How can I have some compassion for, for this person? And and actually, I will say all of these relationships can be healed. That's one of the amazing attributes of love and the love-based perspective is it heals first. And the the next step after compassion is forgiveness. And we have to step into forgiveness 
and, um, and you know, and sort of, if you will, offer that or, or be a source of forgiveness for people. And that helps to shift us. And then the natural next step from that then is gratitude. You know, how can we, you know, we have compassion for the person we, we forgive or let go of our negative judgments about anything that's happened and then look to what can I be grateful for about that relationship? So, you know, if you look to your parents, for example, you know, what was, what am I grateful for with regards to that relationship with that parent? And between those three steps, that starts to move you from being, you know, that anger, frustration, you know, whatever that negative emotion that you're experiencing. Now you start to experience more love and like say compassion, forgiveness, gratitude for that. And it shifts the, the uh, perspective that you have for the parent in the case that we're talking about. And then the final question is, how can I make a difference? That's it. And that becomes the action step. You know, what can I do that's going to move this forward in a healing way and make a difference in this situation? As opposed to when you're fearful, it, uh, the, the counter to what I just described, if you're in a fearful mindset, the first thing is, what's, you know, what did that person do that was wrong? You know, you judge and you see, you, you know, what's wrong with them. And then you look for, you know, how did it hurt me or how did it cause me pain and suffering? Mm. And then the action step is how can I defend myself? And so you go out to try to defend yourself, mm. but that doesn't heal. All that does is continue to damage and create a gap in that relationship. Right. And so if you can shift that to compassion, forgiveness first, what am I grateful for? How can I make a difference? That's more of a healing conversation then. And that's actually one of the strategies that I throw out for parents um, as a way to create that shift in mindset if they catch themselves or they notice themselves being in a fearful place. I love that because it, it, it is, you know, catching that that moment, right? Yeah. When, when you are in, in either position. When we think about, you know, growing up, I think that, you know, and, and we talked about a safe haven, but it's also all environments, right? Whether you go to a school and, and the teachers are, are there to help or the teachers are just because it's a job to them. It's not right. Right. It's not the mission. Right. If you go to the playground and there's a bunch of bullies in, on the playground. So it's all environmental as well. Right. Yeah, it definitely has an impact. And part is, I'll give you an example, a specific example from our family. You talk about teachers, for example. Mm. Um, you know, we try to model and instill the idea of a love-based perspective. That's part of what I'm about, right? Mm -hmm. And you, your teenager's going to go to school. This specifically happened for us. One of our daughters came home one day and her comment was, you know, my bio biology teacher is awful. They're the worst. They're, you know, and you can't make it through high school without them having a quote unquote bad teacher, right? It's it's all about, you know, how bad they are and they can't teach and they're an awful person, blah, blah, blah. You know, she has this, that's her perspective at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's two components to our response. One is around empowerment, which is, you know what? You're this isn't the last time you're going to have an obstacle in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. And so the question is, what can you do to, you know, if you still want to get a good grade in this class, how can you approach it differently? How can you set up a study group? You know, we there's empowerment component to 
having them become resourceful mm -hmm. and being able to get around whatever that obstacle is. In this case, it happened to be the quote unquote bad teacher. Right. But then equally as important in the second part of our conversation that we had was the idea of shifting the daughter's perspective by introducing people don't get into teaching unless they're passionate about teaching children, right? Mm -hmm. And if this teacher is not there, there's something going on for them. Again, it's the idea that that bad or one unwanted behavior is a call for love. You know, maybe we should have some compassion for them. We don't know what's going on in their life. Maybe their um, father's going through an illness, or maybe they're having issue within their family. I mean, we don't know what's happening for that person. And so from a love-based perspective, our response should be to offer compassion and forgiveness for them not fulfilling their role, maybe that they should fulfill. And then how can we make a difference? You know, what can you do to support them mm -hmm. and maybe, you know, help them along their journey? Right. And so, you know, we literally introduce that perspective and, and then let her take and do with it what she will. But part of the process is to use those opportunities as a way to, if you will, model and teach that mindset. Mm -hmm. And that turns it from a destructive, um, damaging situation to one that allows her to grow and develop as a person. And maybe she can heal that person. I mean, I've heard stories, you know, kid, it's, um, you know, a child that's struggling in high school. And there's one person in this, another child, another kid that's maybe not even a friend, but they always smile and said hi to him as they walk by them at one particular class. And they don't realize how much of an impact mm -hmm. that has on that, on that child. And, and so that's part of the message is how can you show your children that they can make a difference? Mm -hmm. And they do it by extending love and, and adopting more of that love-based mindset. And what's interesting to, about that is that fills them up. And that makes, that's what makes their life worth, you know, that's where they get their purpose. And so it's, it's, it's an inside out process for all of us. You know, we have to start to discover that, that the true source of purpose, joy, happiness, it's inside out. It's not outside in. It's not about somebody doing something that's going to make me happy. It's about me extending and serving others. That's where the happiness and the joy comes from. Oh, yeah. You talked about purpose and your why and all that. Maybe certain, and you said that most people are in a profession or teachers is because maybe that's what they wanted to do. But I've, I've come across teachers who eventually they kind of fessed up to me that they hated being a teacher. Right. And therefore, they, that's why they changed their career. Right. And I've spoken to people who um, the elementary teaching and, and later on they realized they hated kids. I'm like, you hate kids? I'm like, yeah, I just don't like kids. I'm like, well, wow. Well, and I, I my my response would be, you know, again, it's compassion. Yeah. And it's not that they hate kids. It's there's hate inside of them. Right. They just didn't like kids, period. <laughs> right. Well, and, and part of the process though is to start to discover the love as an alternative to that hate that's inside. And in it's interesting. Um, are you familiar with Wayne Dyer? Do you know that name? I don't know if you've ever heard his. He does this analogy with an orange. I don't know if you've, have, have you heard or seen that analogy? Yeah. So it, I'll, I'll take two minutes. Do we have time for? Sure. Um, so his analogy is that 
you know, he with an audience. And I've done this in a in a workshop before that I've I've presented where you have an orange and you ask the question, okay, if I take this orange and squeeze it, the question is what comes out? Mm. And, you know, and again, it's not a trick question. The audience would say, well, orange juice is going to come out, right? If you squeeze the orange, orange juice comes out. And then the follow-up question is, well, why is that? And again, to move through the process, you know, I like to have fun with people as you do it. But the, the answer is that's because that's what's inside of an orange, right? There's no way I can squeeze an orange and ever get apple juice to come out. Or I can't, you know, if I turn it upside down or do it a different way, I'm not going to get grape juice to come out. And the, and the reason is because that's what's inside. So you extend that analogy to us as people. And in his description, he talks about, and life puts the squeeze on you. You know, that is to say that someone says something negative about you or that you know, something doesn't go your way or, you know, something that quote unquote bad happens that squeezes you. And what comes out of you is anger, disappointment, frustration, hatred in some cases. Mm. And then we, we tend to say, well, the reason that's coming out of me is because of what that person did, or it's because of the circumstance that I'm facing. You know, that's why it came out. And right. his point is, no, that's not why it came out. What comes out is what's on the inside, right? Mm. And it's inside of you. And when life squeezes, it comes out. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the opportunity we have is we do have a choice, though. We can intentionally shift what's inside us. And if we if all we had inside us was love, when life put the squeeze on us, love would come out. Right. right. It would. That's what would it, compassion, forgiveness. You know, those things would come out of us mm -hmm. as as a, as opposed to anger, frustration, disappointment, all those other things that come out. And no, without a doubt. So that it's it's I love that analogy, though. And, and sometimes I'll talk about life putting a squeeze on us. And the mm. question is, when it happens, what comes out of us? And mm. and we have a choice then on what. But it starts with making a choice on what's on the inside. And, and I've spoken to a lot of different people who, when they found their why, they changed their life around their purpose and they changed careers. Right. Because they may have been in a career that was because it was a financial or because they were following the guidance of their parents because their parents and their great grandparents and so on and so on were in this type of career why are they not in it and then all of a sudden they go why am i doing this right. why am i doing it it's not for me it's for them right and when we can find our own purpose not the purpose of our parents then that's what's going to make a difference and make us happy and and really get the juice really flowing out from us right right when we find that that beautiful why that we all have right and that purpose is going to be aligned with serving others and extending love that would be my argument that it always at the core of it is always the desire and the um the want to extend love to other people mm. that's really that's all of our purpose and how we express that some people do it as an accountant, other people do it as a, a minister at a church, you know, other people do it as a coach. I know you do coaching, you know, with athletics or whatever, but it's at the bottom of it there. When you start to feel that purpose, it's when you are expressing and extending love and serving that other person, whatever the vehicle might be. Right. Right. I, I love your optimism and, and it's awesome. I love it. I really do. Jim, you know, thank you so much for being on here. So we did put up, your your website which is family 
enrichmentacademy.com, but then you also have slash questions. What is that about? So I have, uh, for parents with teenagers, one of the most common questions I get is how do I get my teenager to open up to me, to talk mm. more, because they start to feel this disconnect. And the simple answer is you ask better questions. And so the resource that I have, and it's a, it's a free resource, it's a gift, if you will, for your, for your audience, is there are 10 questions you should never ask your teenagers. Um, think of these as like conversation killers, you know, the ones that shut them down. And then as an alternative, I've got 10 great questions, you know, the questions you should be asking, the ones that tend to open them up. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's just a, it's a fun little free resource. It's a way to get people thinking a little bit. And we talk about perspective. It sort of shifts your perspective around questions and how you can engage with your team. Um, so again, it's, it's a, it's a resource and it's a way for people to connect to our community and, and the work that, that I'm doing. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Jim, I, I really want to thank you for today for not only clearing things up for us, right. To, to have that clarity as a parent, but even to, to have an understanding for your own parents, right? Because sometimes your parents, maybe you don't have a connection with your parents anymore and they're still around, but you haven't talked to them. So maybe pick up the phone, reach out, because maybe we didn't understand what they were going through when they were raising us. Right. So it's never too late to make that connection again, right? Absolutely. Love heals all relationships. And it's just a matter of stepping into that. And there's, there's all, I always like to tell people there's always hope. I don't care how it's been 50 years of bad. You can always heal it if you allow love to enter into that relationship. Yeah, I appreciate that. So everybody go call your mom, call your dad, <laughs> right? And uh, hug your kids and uh, just love of love. If more people loved, if more people had a safe haven to go home to, right, and that would definitely help change the world. So thank you, Jim. I really, really appreciate you today. My pleasure. It's been a joy. Thank you. All right, you guys, everybody enjoy. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Sifu Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.